Hey, welcome to Table Talk. This is your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. Adam Moline joins me, and so does Clint Poppy. The gang's all here. What up, yo? Yeah, good for you. Whatever that means. <laughs> homie, homie. You know, we're going to rejoice in baptism all the more. Now, it's interesting that in uh, Acts 22, when Paul receives holy baptism at the hand of Pastor Ananias, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. We've observed that before, and now we're going to push this more into the New Testament. Wash away your sins. That's what Paul was told, which, which hooks with Acts 2, uh, verses 38 through 9, where Peter says, Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wash away all your sins, Acts 22. Now, it's interesting, Adam, that in, in Titus chapter 3, then, this Paul who received baptism, by which his sins are washed away, then instructs us in Titus 3, which is the epistle for Christmas Day. You know, any of you remember that? That's the epistle for Christmas Day, yep. where you're given rebirth through the birth of Christ. And then, of course, in baptism as well. It's interesting, Adam, that Paul says what? He uses the S verb, doesn't he, in association with another W verb, saved and washed, right? Yes. You got it for us? Yeah, well... Uh, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is so pregnant with all biblical theology here. So the he there is who? He saved us. God. Right. And he saved us how? Now, if you're a Neoplatonist, can't talk, Neoplatonic thinker. Platonist. Yeah, or Platonist. <laughs> this is this is you know the the hair on your neck is just standing up because this this is offensive that God saved us through something through a washing and it's a washing of rebirth and renewal how by the holy spirit who was poured out on us through Jesus Christ and there's more to this text I know but let's just let's just pick this God saved us now he saves us in Christ his good friday death his Easter Sunday resurrection. But then Paul also says that he saved us through a washing of rebirth and renewal. Now, how in the world can this be? Now, the washing course is baptism, which fits Acts 22. Wash away your sins. This is the same Paul. So, Adam, how can this be? God saves us in Christ, and then Paul says that he saves us through a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's bad. How can that be? Well, did not yeah. that opposite? I would say no. I'd say uh, in baptism you get the as as you would say the whole enchilada, right? Uh, you get Christ delivered to you by those means. You get the Holy Spirit delivered to you by those means. You get the uh, Holy, uh, the, the God, the Father, the, the whole Holy Trinity delivered to you in the waters of baptism. Since you know we're using the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, even in that baptism. So, so if I pick up what you're throwing down here, so Paul in Acts, pardon me, Paul in Titus three, can say that God saved us through baptism, and he speaks of it as a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, because this is precisely where God delivers the salvation that He won for us on the cross, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and in one of our previous episodes, maybe even the last episode, you talked about the importance of the incarnation and things that would detract from the God in the flesh 
incarnation of Jesus and being replaced by other things. That's why this particular text in Titus 3 is the epistle reading for Christmas Day, because it extols the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ and connects the incarnation of Jesus to justification, which comes about three or four verses later, and in the middle shows how that justification is brought to us through the gift of holy baptism. But it's in uh, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. Ah, yes, that's right. Yes. That's Christmas. Yes. And so uh, to connect all of these things and, you know, in American culture, you know, Christmas is anything and everything except the birth of Jesus. And so I love to preach on this text. I love to preach on this text on Christmas. I love to preach on this text on any day because it is so powerful con- for me connecting all those dots yeah so christmas it's it's done on purpose it's read at christmas because the birth of christ means your rebirth as a child of god through holy baptism so that you could so just as christ was a true human being and i mean that when i say that jesus christ was the human being par excellence where adam failed jesus is successful namely he lives by faith perfectly and he lives by love perfectly. Faith towards his father and his father's word and love towards his neighbor by giving his life into death for the salvation of the world. Now, uh, so we then are reborn in baptism so that we can be or so that we are human beings that live by faith toward God and love towards others. That's a whole nother sermon. One more thing on this I can't help. But we've heard this, this false way of talking. To, to err is human. To err is human. And we all think that's true. No, it's not. To err is inhuman. It's unhuman. To be a human being is not to err. It is to live by faith and love, not to, not to sin. See how, the, see how we get all this wrong? And then, you know, if you buy this, this false saying that to err is human, then, then you excuse your sin and your sinfulness, and you don't need who? You don't need the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's a side note. Now, back to this text in Titus, two, Titus 3. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Washing, we know, is a reference to baptism because that was the word used in Acts 22 when Paul was baptized. Saved us by washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Where in the world would Paul have learned such terminology? I would contend from the Lord Jesus Christ himself and John the Blessed Apostle records this event with Nicodemus in the, in, in the middle of the night. You know, Nicodemus comes at night to talk to Jesus about how one enters the kingdom of God. And you remember, Jesus says, you know, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born from above, or as it's translated, generally born again. Reborn. Renewed. And how? By water and the Spirit. Now, keep in mind... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just to clarify, uh, you say St. Paul learned this from Jesus himself, but I, I'd say he learned it from Jesus through uh, Ananias or whoever it is that taught him this. Uh, we, we have recorded for us what Jesus says to him on the road, um, which is basically, why are you persecuting me? But then Jesus sends him directly to go see a pastor who does the baptism, who teaches him the faith and and. Uh, even the the time afterwards he spends continuing to be a catechumen in the church and learn it. Uh, It's not direct revelation to St. Paul, but rather it's already happening through the process of the church. 
Yes, and that's why I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. Um, he would have learned this like he taught the Corinthian congregation when he addressed the Lord's Supper. What I've received now I've From the Lord. He said from the yes. Lord. Well, how did he receive it from the Lord? Well, from the teaching of the church and the other apostles. Correct. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Now let's push this. So remember Nicodemus, when he hears Jesus say, do you have to be born again or born from above? Nicodemus doesn't understand this. And he thinks, okay, so I've got to jump back in my mother's womb and gestate for nine months. Is that what you're talking And Jesus says, oy vey, man, you're an idiot. Now again, I'm paraphrasing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Very loose paraphrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> modern-day English translation. Uh, Oy vey, man, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's when Jesus says, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. See, so Paul is just simply teaching what Jesus taught in John 3 to Nicodemus. So when Paul says that he saved us in Titus 3 by a washing of rebirth or renewal by the Holy Spirit, this is John 3 talk. It's just how Jesus talked. Make sense, everybody? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there's another thing here that we've learned about holy baptism, is that when you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you are actually a new creation. You're a new creature. You're born again. You're renewed. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so for a Lutheran, we can say, yeah, I'm born again. And when somebody says, well, when did that happen? Well, it's, I, I am baptized. I'm baptized Uh, because Paul says in Titus 3 that God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And notice this Holy Spirit language goes back to Matthew 28 when you're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there are more passages of scripture where I'm going to pick this up. But I just mentioned the John 3, born of water and of the, the Spirit. And remember, the, the, the Nicene Creed properly confesses that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. And also one baptism for the remission of sins. Yeah, I think in that's, the Creed. I think that line, uh, Pastor, In while we have a little time left, in verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. I think that's a crucial line here because so many of our brothers and sisters in American Christianity look at baptism as an act of obedience, as as something that we are doing in response to God. You know, I've heard the gospel, now I have to show or demonstrate that I believe it by my righteous act of obedience in baptism. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tears that down completely, showing that this is pure gift. Right. And as Adam has pointed out, you know, your background, Adam, you know, non-Lutheran background, baptism was not God's gift, but what? It was uh, our commitment, our work, our yeah. uh, devotion. What It was all focused in what we were doing rather than being a passive thing. And this is why then Paul continues in Titus 3. So he says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, (laughs) so that having been justified by, what's it say? Justified by his grace, right? We may be made heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy. So brothers and sisters, if you're picking up what Paul's throwing down here in Titus 3, to be justified by God's grace freely for Christ's sake, is also to be given holy baptism. It's very fascinating how Paul does this. The justification by God's grace 
through faith alone in Jesus Christ, is made manifest. Or how, This is how one theologian I knew who's now waiting for the resurrection of the body was talk. He would say that holy baptism is one of the ways where justification by faith alone or by grace alone for Christ's sake will be kept pure and operative in the church. <laughs> and he's right. This is what Paul teaches. So CFW Walther, in, uh, I think it's in his essays on the true visible church on earth, says that there are some churches that are so permeated with false doctrine that the only Christians in the church are the recently baptized babies <laughs> because as soon as they grow up and hear the false teaching, immediately their faith will be quenched. <laughs> that, that's quite an observation, too. Well, to, to a certain extent, that's th- no doubt that's true. But on the other hand, we also know this felicitous inconsistency that, uh, uh, as, I've, as I've learned as a pastor over the years, like, for example, when, uh, <coughs> when I uh, catechize adults who grow up Baptist, and I have these assumptions that they believe everything that the Baptists teach officially. Sure. And then you, you, you have them in adult class, and all of a sudden you— you, you say, now, do you believe that you're saved because of what you did or what you've decided? Oh, no, Pastor. I, I'm saved only because Jesus died for me. Really? Yeah, that's right. Not your decision? No, Pastor. I don't believe that. And it, like, for example, baptism. They actually believe what the scriptures teach about baptism. They actually believe what the Lord's Supper, what Jesus says. It's very interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and I think that's what was going on uh, in uh Adam Moline before he became Pastor Moline is there was enough of the word in that congregation where you were in that you heard the word and believed the word and uh, didn't pay that much attention to the nonsense that was going on is that fair yeah whether it was at the the church or in other ways uh you know we could have a long discussion about that but the word definitely works faith and and it's a shame that i think a lot of us lutherans take that for granted and maybe that's a whole other one can to open we'll, we'll come back over the break and talk some more baptism you are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. You know, the small catechism asks a question regarding baptism. It says, what benefits does baptism give? And the, and the answer it gives right off the top is it works forgiveness of sins. And, you know, if you don't know your scriptures, that, that strikes you as either odd or false. And I said, if you don't know your scriptures. But it's true. So again, the catechism asks the question, what benefits does baptism give? And the first answer right out of the chute is it works forgiveness of sins. And if any of you, if you've been sleeping during these episodes and if you haven't been paying attention, let me review it with you one more time. Everything that flows out of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, being baptized in the divine name, that's why Peter can say, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why Ananias told Paul in Acts 22, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Both Peter and Paul, the two most prominent apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, teach this, what the small catechism confesses to be true. And it all flows from the fact that in baptism, you're given God's divine and saving name. So when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, 
you are given everything that Jesus won for you on the cross because he gives you his divine and saving name. And I hope that's helpful for people. Then the catechism continues. It, it extols this all the more. So it works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death, and the devil. Now, you might think, well, that, how, where? Well, the point is, Luther knew this, when your sins are forgiven, you're rescued from death and the devil because salvation is having your sins forgiven for Christ's sake. Okay? <laughs> so what I'm trying to do here, the, by the way, this is another side. I'm always doing side notes. But see, this, this is why, uh, folks, this is why pastors should simply teach the small catechism uh, the way the s small catechism is to be designed to be taught. So, for example, you teach the kids to memorize the words, and then you teach them, all right, this is what the scriptures teach, like I've just done. And then as a result of the fact being given the forgiveness of sins and baptism, what, is this, what does this lead to? Well, then you're rescued from death and the, the devil. Duh. Duh. All right? And then it continues. And it gives eternal salvation to all who believe these words and promises of God. And then Mark 16, 16 is given for that, our Lord's promise. You believe and you're baptized. And you are saved. Adam so, wants to talk. Here, so I was just going to ask, you know, innocently, without any motivation or uh, um, you know, agenda behind yeah, it. Malice. No guile. Yeah, no yes. guile on your lips. He's like so Nathaniel. if baptism rescues from sin and death and the devil, then it's kind of like already a built-in really good coronavirus vaccine, you know, no matter what happens. If you get sick and die, you are baptized, and you might already be promised eternal life. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, keep in mind, uh, Jesus, whoever believes in is baptized. So what makes, what, saved. Yeah, what, well, makes, what makes baptism baptism? It's the word of Christ, all right? And uh, what does faith do? Does faith make baptism a baptism? No, faith simply says thank you or receives what Jesus gives. So if you reject what Jesus gives, well, you understand? I'm not, I'm, yeah, I understand where you're going. I, I just mean, I think uh, as Christians today, a lot of us don't really believe that uh, we've been already rescued from death. Oh, I see. We have I this see. great fear I see. that paralyzes us and keeps us, gotcha. uh, you know, separated from God and his gifts and all that when we, we already have the solution uh, whether it's coronavirus or car accident or heart attack or, you know, here in Lincoln, drinking the fluoride in the water, getting cancer, or, you know, just but wh whatever it is. I, I, and I think Pastor Molian's question opens up something bigger, Pastor, and uh, uh, something I don't think we can take for granted. You know, I think there are people that would dispute part two of Holy Baptism and Luther's small catechism because I'm baptized and I still sin. I'm baptized, and I'm going to die. I'm baptized, and the devil still attacks me. So how in the world have I been rescued from sin, death, and the devil when it doesn't look or feel like anything has changed? I think that's where a lot of people are at, and I think that's, that's what's driving the ship that is uh, behind this fear and hysteria with regard to the, the pandemic, and it doesn't matter, you know, if it's not this pandemic, it'll be the next issue, it'll be the next thing, whatever. Uh, people now realize how, how fear works and how people can be manipulated by their fears. 
and uh, th- this is going to be with us forever. It's never going to go away. Uh, the the details will go away, but they'll just change. They're not going to they're not going to go away. So, Pastor, how is this not a lie? Because I'm going to die. I'm still attacked. I still sin. The devil still works on me. Because Jesus promises, and so you live. Faith and the promises go together, and we live by faith, not by sight. Paul teaches, and so the Christian life. Is a both and. It's I live by faith in Jesus and his promises. And yet at the same time, I still have the old Adam, the world, and the devil to contend with. But who am I going to trust? I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, I continue to sin. And that's why Jesus gives you the promise. You believe and you're baptized, you're saved. To combat the, the, the temptation to not believe his word. This is the pastoral task is to point people to our Lord's promises so that they trust his promises. And so in this pandemic, we as pastors have the high task of calling people to repentance on the one hand, namely, I, I, I wonder if you fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Maybe, maybe you fear, love, and trust in something else because you're so afraid that you're going to die of COVID-19. I mean, you'll go to work. You'll go to the grocery store, you'll go to weddings, you'll go to this, you'll do that, you'll do this to that, but you won't come to church to hear his word. Why is that? Well, I might get COVID-19, Pastor, and die if I go to church. Well, you might, you might, but you might get it to the grocery store too. So what's really going on here? And I think the devil went out of his way to put this fear of being in church as a part of this particular pandemic with the... um, news reports that singing can uh, cause you to die from COVID-19. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I put it this yeah. way. I, I said the old Adam never lets a crisis go to waste. So on the one hand, I don't want people to misunderstand. On the one hand, COVID-19 is very serious. Yes. It, you can die from it. But on the other hand, um, you might not. And most likely you won't. I mean, if you just look at the statistics. I mean, if I'm, if I'm 85 years old and I've had cancer and other kinds of things, that, yeah, I have high chance that if I get it, I'll die. But if I'm, uh, if I'm 35 years old, 40 years old, or if I have children that are in grade school, what are the, the odds? What do the stats say? Astronomical. That you won't, you won't die from it. Correct. Well, my point is, on the one hand, the high pastoral task is to call people to repentance if their old Adam is not letting this crisis go to waste. And using it as an excuse to not hear the word of God and eat and drink his body and blood, Christ's body and blood. And that's happening. On the other hand, the other part of the pastoral task is is to comfort those with the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. That death does not have the final word. Trust me on this. Jesus does. And Mark 16, 16, Titus 3, etc., etc. And what the catechism teaches. It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe these words and promises of God. So we have to properly distinguish between the law and the gospel, depending on who we're dealing with. And this is, this is part of the hard work of being a pastor. You have to ask questions. It's one thing to talk about all this hypothetically, but it's quite another thing when you're actually dealing with a real-life person sitting before you, and you have to ask certain questions, like this. I hope this is helpful for people. I hope it's helpful for you gentlemen here. That a pastor dealing with somebody face to face who says, "Well, I'm not. I can't come because," and say, well, "What do you fear? What is it that you fear? Or what is it that prevents you? What what is forbidding you from hearing the word of God?" 
And you have to listen very carefully and ask diagnostic questions to find out, is there something that's hindering faith in Jesus Christ? Is there something that is blocking trust in his promise? You know, what, what are you really fearing? What do you really trust? What do you really love? So, for example, if I would take something away from somebody and it would be the end of their world, then I've, I've, I've unmasked the idolatry. See? And, and God loves us when he breaks our idols. Yes. He does. And uh, it hurts. It's painful. Uh, sometimes extremely embarrassing. But this is God's love in action. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all experienced this. Yeah, 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 you know, we don't have to go into details with regard to that. Pastor, you know, we don't have a lot of time left in this segment, but, you know, we've been talking about baptism part two and Luther's small catechism. There, there are some people, uh, even in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that would say that the proof text Luther uses in, Matthew, or in Mark 16 is not actually a part of the Bible and that it was a later addition. And so uh, it is uh, it's illegitimate to use Mark 16, 16 in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I personally believe that this is sheer nonsense, but uh, how, would, how would you respond to that critique? Just like you did. That's the devil at work. <laughs> this is the devil at work. This is a part of God's word. This is God's word. Uh, so, so attempts that are out there to undermine the legitimacy of the so-called long ending of Mark. Uh, and who's doing it, by the way? Who's making this case? Well, People within the church. Academics yes, in people, the church. This is Antichrist. This is how the devil works. Remember, he, he parades around as an angel of light. He takes his seat in the temple of God. This is Antichrist at work. That's what it is. That's the best thing I can say for this. This is Antichrist. It isn't the unbelievers who are making this claim. They could care less. So the devil uses pastors, seminary professors, big shots in the church to try and do what? Cause people to doubt exactly. the truthfulness exactly. of God's word. Exactly. I can do this. You could, you could make the same case with all the parts of Scripture, like the unbelievers have done in the past. Or the skeptics have done in the past. Yeah, and, and the entire historical critical debate that tore apart the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in the late 60s and early 1970s. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's the devil at work. Okay, so uh, I just, I thought we would be remiss if, we, if we're looking at baptism part two and it just at least didn't address that this thing is out there. Yeah, yeah. But Pastor do you, Moline, do you have any... Any uh, anything to add or say with regard to the ending of Mark? Well, uh, I don't know. I, I'm a big believer in the the people whose names are on the book probably actually wrote them, and you know, even if it is a, a slightly later edition, it doesn't mean it's still not from Mark or that uh, you know he the the way that things were written back then was Mark spoke to a bunch of people and they all wrote it down at the same time. You know what I mean? I, I think the likelihood of it being from Mark is very high, very high. And that's why the early church kept putting it down and writing it down. Right, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. They, they weren't dummies. We like to think we're smarter than them when we're looking back through 2,000 years of history. We know better than you did who were looking back through a decade that's or so. The, that's the height of arrogance. It is. Yes. It is. And, and we exhibit this in all kinds of things in life, and this is one example, is that 21st century people were smarter than these primitives in the first century. And, and uh, I really, th <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I don't think we are. You know, we have more technological <laughs> advances, but I don't think we're smarter people. So, and I'm speaking about myself there. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, you know, this this gift of holy baptism, there's just tons of ways to extol this, and Scripture does this all the time. And I think the next time we talk, we're going to talk about what it means to live in and from our baptism into Christ. So come back again, folks. Well, tell her that I miss our little talks.